Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing amongst them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed Twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, We have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand in the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, Pull your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, You believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. Did you just hear this story? Did you just hear the story that Kylie just told this morning? When she first shared that story with me a little while ago, I said, Kylie, would you be prepared to share that story one day? And she said, I would. And then I had this idea that I'd love for her to share it on Easter morning because on Easter morning, uh, hope is on the way and change is real. And, and the message from the grave is simply this, is that he has risen and the response throughout the generations has always been, he has risen indeed. You see, when I was young, I didn't really quite know what to do with Easter morning. I'd turn up, my, my folks would take me along to church gathering services and and the people that I knew kind of turned up on Good Friday morning and, and they had these forlorn expressions on their faces. They kind of wore these sad, uh, uh, downcast expressions and I'd say hello to them and you kind of felt like, oh, what am I supposed to do at Easter? How am I supposed to be involved in this thing? Because these people that I know that are friends, are, they put on these sad faces and if you're here on Friday morning, uh, on Easter Friday, it was dark and it was raining and it was, it was kind of one of those sombre moments. I never knew what to do on Easter. Uh, I never knew what, how to be on Easter because what would happen on the Sunday, just two days after the things on Friday, I would turn up again because I'd have to go back to church again and, and, and there I was, those same people who were so sad and forlorn on Friday, all of a sudden come Sunday, they were happy and they would smile at you and they'd say, Happy Easter and you were supposed to look and go, Oh, this is the happy day now and, and so everything had kind of changed and I used to think as a kid, is it because they ate chocolate? You know, what is it that all of a sudden everyone was sad, sad on Friday, but come Sunday, happy. You know, is this, this, what was going on here? Is this schizophrenic kind of jump? It was sad, happy, sad, happy. Teenage girls, happy, sad, happy, sad, sad, happy. What's supposed to do on Easter? I don't quite get that. And what I didn't really understand back then was what they were inviting us to do as adults, as kids, was to become part of the drama. You see, what they were trying to do was reenact how those first followers of Jesus would have felt, would have experienced on that Easter time, that Easter event. So on Friday they were sad because the disciples, they were despondent, they were discouraged. 
They were depressed. Their king, the Messiah, he died. He, he, everything they'd expected didn't happen. It didn't come true. So they were forlorn. And so we wore sad faces. We were despondent too. We were a bit overcast ourselves. But then on Easter Sunday morning, the message that rang out from the tomb, from the first women that saw that ran back, from the soldiers that tried to cover up the tomb to make sure because they'd predicted Jesus, they'd heard him say he'd come back to life again on the third day. So the Roman soldiers came and they protected the tomb to make sure that the, that the superstition wouldn't be passed on, that the, maybe the disciples would come and steal the bodies so they guarded that tomb. But even their message on the first day of this Sunday, the Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, was that there's a body that's gone. And if there's a body that's gone that it changes everything. So on Easter Sunday morning, when everyone was happy, it wasn't just because of the chocolate. It was because the adults wanted us as kids to be involved in the drama as well because the cry from the tomb 2,000 years ago from the women, from the soldiers, from the first people that had seen Jesus alive again is that he is risen. And throughout the centuries, the ringing cry throughout the millennia and the ages has been a response that says, he is risen Indeed. So whenever they said and whenever they cried out on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, he's risen, the people would reply and say, he is risen. Indeed. You see, what happened was that the priestly aristocracy wanted Jesus to be out of the way because he was a troublemaker. He was causing problems for them. But the cry from the grave 2000 years ago is he is risen. And even the kids got involved and they called out, but he is risen. Indeed. Work with me here, please. And then... And then, of course, there was Pilate. He had Jesus condemned. He had him crucified. He had him cruelly beaten. But what the call was from that tomb 2,000 years ago was that a dead man has come back to life. He is risen. He is risen indeed. You see, what happened is that the people, they were longing for a Messiah, for a king, for someone that would bring God's promises to this world, to restore a broken world, to make it right with him, so people could know him. They were despondent and discouraged, those first disciples, because their Messiah had been crucified. Their king was dead. But on Easter Sunday morning, they actually saw him alive. And their cry and the cooey from the tomb all the way through the ages has been, he is risen. And they replied, he is risen. Indeed, you see, I didn't understand that Easter Sunday morning was supposed to be one of those happy times where if you could do an Irish jig, you'd do one along the same way. If you could do a rap dance, you would rap along the way because the cry throughout the millennia and the ages, and then my kids are getting embarrassed right now, is that he has risen and the people replied, he has risen indeed. You see, no death could hold him. No cross could crucify him. No stone could stand in front of him because he had risen and if he had risen, then it meant everything had changed. You see, let's make no bones about it. If there is a God, if there is a God, if there is a God, then wouldn't you agree with me that miracles are possible? You see, at the heart of the Christian faith, at the heart of anyone wanting to follow Jesus, is this, is this profound miracle to believe in. Because if he didn't come back to life, then the whole thing, Paul writes... Is for nothing. 
In fact, he writes these, pens these words soon after, not generations later, not centuries later. He writes these words. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then and you still stand firm in it. It is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believed something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what also been passed on to me. Christ died for sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day just as the scriptures said he was seen by Peter and then by the twelve after that he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at once not hallucinating because 500 people don't hallucinate about the same thing at the same time most of whom are still alive though some have died then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles last of all as though I had been born at the wrong time I also saw him myself you see what Paul, who had witnessed and experienced Jesus alive, testified throughout the ages is that at the heart of following Jesus is this belief that all that that he had said, all that he had promised would come true, actually had in come true. He wasn't a dead Messiah. He was a risen one. And if so, he was the true king and lord of the world. You see, Peter understood. Paul understood that at the heart of following Jesus is a miracle. He wrote these words. He says in another place, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Jesus Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. You see, it was Paul who was beheaded for believing and saying that a dead man had come back to life. You see, it was Peter that was crucified upside down because he didn't believe that he should was worthy enough to be crucified in the same way Jesus was. You see, these people throughout the ages built upon the testimony and the witness of these first followers of Jesus was that something had happened. Historians, whether they be secular, religious or skeptics, they all believe and agree upon one thing that whatever it was that started that rumbling throughout the centuries that took a group of despondent and discouraged disciples who were hopeless in the moment to making them on fire and alive and excited about this person that they'd come to see was that something had happened. They don't all agree about what that something was, but they believe as they look back at these historical events, they all agree something happened. And Paul says... We're wanting to even be open, even to be crucified, if you like, or beheaded for it, was that he had seen a dead man come back to life. And if that was the case, then everything had changed and nothing was the same. The message through the generations, the message through the millennia that have been called out, that people have responded to, millions of souls have responded to along the way is simply this. When the declaration, he is risen, was sounded, their reply unanimously has been for all those who dare to believe and follow Jesus was that he is risen indeed. And that, my friends, is why on Easter Sunday, people smiled. People were happy. Why it was so different to Good Friday, the forlorn expressions, And it was more than Easter eggs. The Easter eggs were supposed to say, there's nothing in the tomb, it's a hollow shell. There's nothing in the grave, you can't find it there. There's nothing in that hole in the ground because there's a man who's come back to life and he is risen and we're prepared to die for it, for that testimony the same. 
That's why the forlorn expressions on Friday and the smiles on Sunday is because that was the central linchpin and hope throughout the generations. You see, I can't convince you here this morning that Jesus rose from the dead. I can't put him in a test tube. I can't show you the video footage. No, it even wasn't back then. I can't show you that event that took place. But the eyewitness testimony of people throughout the generations is not only being that he has risen, but that he's alive in me. You see, that's why I love the story of Kylie here this morning, her brother. Wow. Wow. If you asked her brother, her cousin, but she says is like a brother to me, what has happened in your life? He might even mouth the words that kind of sound a little bit like this. I've come to discover that there's a God and he's got plans for my life too. And even while I'm hooked up and enslaved and addicted to this particular thing, I want to tell you this that I've experienced his power at work in my life. I've experienced his presence at work in my life. And in fact, that's the thing that's broken the shackles and is starting to make me anew and afresh. The experiences that I have encountered in these past months are ones that I can tell you and point to the fact that I believe that not only has he risen, but that he's risen in me. How do we know that he's alive? Her cousin would say... He's alive in me. He's forgiven me. I experience his peace in me. I experience his forgiveness in me. I'm experiencing him alive in me. And that, my friends, is the witness throughout generations. Is that not only is he alive because it's been written about it, but he's alive. He's alive. He's alive still. And he can be alive in you. And he can be alive in me because he is risen. He is risen indeed. This is the message throughout the generations. This is the message that has echoed through on. There was once a man, it's, it's a true, untrue story. He woke up in the morning time and he, he turned to the, his wife and he, was believe, he believed that he was dead. He turned to his wife and he said, I'm dead. And his wife said, no, you're not. You're dreaming. He was none convinced. Frustrated, the wife realized that this was a little bit more serious, so she took him down to the doctors and there was a student doctor that was there. And the student doctor was also confounded because this man would not believe that he was actually alive. So the student uh, doctor took out his book and he said, I'll tell you what, do you believe that dead man can bleed? And he said, well, no, of course they can't. The heart stops bleeding, uh, beating, the, the blood coagulates. Of course they don't. So he, took, he did something he shouldn't have done. He took a little scalpel and he took the man's arm and he, he pricked it and blood started to flow. And that man there that was believing that he was dead said, what do you know? Dead men do bleed. <laughs> you see, this morning I can't convince you otherwise that Jesus rose from the grave. I can't show you a video footage. I can't put him in a test tube. But what I can point to is Kylie's cousin who says, I believe that he's alive. Because he's alive in me. Do you know that he's alive in you this morning? Because that's the message that rings throughout the ages. What does it mean? What does it mean for you and I if a dead man came to life? If Jesus came to life, what does it mean to us 2,000 years later? Apart from a sad Friday and a happy Sunday. Is it any more than that? What does it mean? You see, the first writers... They said this, if Jesus came back to life again, then I tell you what, this foremostly is proof 
that Jesus is who he said he was, that he is the world's true Lord and the world's true king. He's not only just Messiah of the Jews, the Israelites, he is the Lord and the Caesar and the boss of the whole shebang. He writes this, the good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line and was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord, if you like, the world's true Lord. Some years ago, my wife and I were living in Portland, Oregon. You might have heard this story before. We were living in our third year in a domestic violence shelter. Women getting away from bad men. Women and their children trying to reclaim their lives again and get the pieces rolling. There was one particular lady in that complex who lived just opposite us. Her name was Cindy. Cindy had a heart of gold, but she was loud. When she was having a bad day, she played her music loud. When she was a bit grumpy with the people around her, she was loud, even louder than me. There was a particular day when Cindy came out and I realised that she had this particular car. Let's say it was a Commodore, SS Commodore. It was her pride and joy, except for it was a Ford. But apart from that, she never had an opportunity to get this car washed, cleaned, changed, serviced, anything. I said to her, after some months of getting to know Cindy, I said to her, would you mind? I've been taught how to do a grease and oil change. I know this is really risky, but I've got a friend who can help me. Would you mind if I just took your car because you probably never get a chance to get these things done? She said, all right, but you've got to be careful of her. I said, yes, ma'am. And so I got in the car and I drove around to my friend's place. We did a grease and oil change. I washed that car and on the inside, I noticed that the car was messy. She had three kids and there was stuff everywhere in the car. I thought she would never get a chance to clean the inside of this car Maybe the outside, never a grease and oil change. So what do I do? I took it to the same place, vacuumed everything, polished the inside of the car. Didn't say a word. Brought the car back, parked it in the garage, went and handed her the keys and went on about my business. A few days later, there was a pounding at the door. Boom, 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 boom. We always knew that if there was a pounding at the door, that it was Cindy. Boom, boom, boom. Open up the door. She looks at me. What do you want? I said, what do you mean, Cindy, playing dumb? She said, what do you want? I said, I don't know what you mean. She said, what do you want? I said, you might be talking about the car. She said, yeah. You see, because she lived in a world where people don't do something for nothing. They always want something from you. And I said, I saw the car, I washed it and I noticed on the inside you probably wouldn't get a chance to do any of that cleaning because of the kids. So I vacuumed it as well. What do you want? I want nothing. What do you want? I want nothing. You know, the hardest message to get across to Cindy that day is that I wanted nothing more than just for her pure joy and pleasure of hopping in her car and driving it without having to worry about things that she wouldn't get to do. And one of the most difficult messages throughout the entire history of the world since Jesus came is that there is a God who wants to do something for you without anything necessarily getting anything back from you because he loves you and thinks you're of incredible worth. And you stand there and I stand there pounding on the door saying, what do you want? 
And he said, I want you to experience my love. What do you want? I want you to experience my life. You see, the Bible says that God demonstrated his love to us in this, that whilst we were still sinners, whilst we were still shaking our fists, whilst we were still pounding on the door, whilst we were still far away from him, Jesus Christ died for us. And he rose again so that we might know his new life. You see, the belief and the message that rang throughout the tomb from that very first Easter Easter Sunday, that resurrection day, was that he is alive. And if he's alive, then there's proof enough that he's king of the world, the king of your life. And if you bend your knee to him, he will come into your life and you will experience him too. This was the experience of Kylie's cousin that rings throughout the ages. How do I know he's alive? They would say, he's alive in me. What does it mean if a dead man came back to life? If Jesus rose from the dead, not only is it proof, but he goes on and he says this in another place. It has released a new power into the cosmos. This means that anyone who belongs to Jesus Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. You see, when Jesus rose from the dead, he was not only saying this is one solitary, mysterious um, miracle that's happened outside of space and time, what he was trying to get across in that first Easter Sunday is that if he has come back to life, then he is the prototype of all humanity, that anyone who places their trust in him will experience the same new life and same resurrection and the same new body that he experienced that first Easter Sunday. Someone who places their trust in him, he says, you can come alive. You're a new person. The old has gone and the new has come and my power can be released in you too. Because there was a ripple through the cosmos that first resurrection Sunday morning. Some years ago, I was spending time in a funny place called the Silly Isles. Is it just getting hot in here or can someone press a button? Um, I was down at the Silly Isles. This is a, a funny place off the coast of England. No, I really mean it. Can someone please press a button? Um, yes, that's it. Someone walk. Cause, yeah, that's it. Good. Someone go to the doors and press those buttons. Please. Good. There was a place called, thank you, Chad, the Silly Isles. There was a place off England. And my wife and I and the two kids at this stage, we were having holidays down there. And in this funny place on the Silly Isles, we were just there sitting on the sand in this transatlantic place where the cool Atlantic waters had just receded and we were playing on this big open space of the beach. Just myself and our two kids. We, we decided to, to build a wall. They wouldn't even remember this at the time, but we got our shovels and spades and we began to build this, this little wall around ourselves. And then we had an idea. Hey, kids, how about we build a wall big enough and high enough and tall enough that can blot out, that can shut out even the cool waters of the Atlantic when the tide turns and comes in? This was a brilliant idea. We can defeat the tide. And so what we did was we ran up and down along the beach and as we grabbed our shovels and began to build this wall, other kids were recruited too. Soon, all the kids on the entire beach were building a wall to turn back the tide. We, we all did this together. We built the wall high and we built it thick and we built it around ourselves and there we stood in the middle of this surging tide as it began to come in the cool Atlantic water. And what happened? We were defeated. All the sand began to fade away. The power and the force of that tide change was so strong and so powerful that it had smashed our little castles. Friends, what I want to suggest to you this morning is that when Jesus Christ rose from the dead that Easter Sunday morning, that resurrection Sunday, that there was a ripple in the cosmos. 
There was a shifting and a realigning of the planets. You see, what had happened is God's new power had been released into our world and it had caused a new creation. It's as though the future of God's kingdom and his life had borne down here on earth and it had come alive. And so the simple, profound confidence and promise is this. For anyone who places their trust in Jesus, that power and that same life will come alive in you. That's why he says, anyone who follows Jesus, new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Forgiveness, wash clean, second chances, and no tide and no power will stand against that force. You see, C.S. Lewis had it perfectly right. Can I grab that for a second, Jake? Fantastic. You see, C.S. Lewis, he said, what, when people ask, what kind of body will Jesus have? What kind of resurrection state will it be? Will it be a real body or, or are we talking about just a disembodied soul playing golf in heaven eternally? That would be boring, really boring. And C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia, he says, well, it's kind of like an apple. He depicts a tree. And he says, well, what's it like, this, this new body of Jesus that other people can have as well who follow him and trust in him? It's like an apple the way it always was, says the Pevensi children. But it smells even more like an apple. He says, it looks like an apple that we knew once, but it's, it's more than an apple. It shines brighter than an apple. It's the way an apple should have always been, and we never quite knew. And it tastes as crisp and as, as, as loud as an apple that we knew, but it's louder. You see, it's the way it always should have been. C.S. Lewis had an imagination. And it was good. You see, that's what he says will happen. One day, if anyone places their trust in Jesus, what kind of body? Not a disembodied body. Playing golf eternally in the heavens, that would be boring. Because a new power would be released and his kingdom would come here on earth in a recreated new kingdoms and new earth. Proof. A new power. What does it mean if a dead man come back to life? It also means this, that there is a new purpose that has captured the history of humankind. You see, history isn't just meandering into the future destined to nowhere. If a dead man came back to life, they would all agree. The followers of Jesus would say this, that history has a final point where one day God would come and bring his rule to bear on earth and every eye will see that Jesus is the King and the Messiah who he claimed to be. Writes this, after that the end will come when he will turn the kingdom, Jesus will turn over the kingdom to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Jesus Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death itself. Proof that he is the King and the Lord. Proof, if you like, that there's a new power, that death is defeated and a purpose and a future one day that will reach into our space and time and history. Then when all things are under his authority, the son will put himself under his father's authority so that God, who gave his son authority over all things, will be utterly supreme over everything, everywhere. Someone else says, God will be all in all. And people like you and I will see, some through gritted teeth bending their knee, Jesus, I suppose you are the king. You see, what brought forth that Easter Sunday was not just an ordinary, once-off, miraculous moment. It had ripples through the cosmos. A proof, a new power, and a new purpose had been set into motion in this world. 
that one day would be realized in a new heavens and earth right here and right now. My wife, when I first asked the question of her, dear, would you marry me? I'm kind of a bit strange, but would you marry me? She looked at me and she said, I suppose, if I have to, if you pay me enough. I said, 12 months. She said, six. I had no idea what that meant at the time. I was just a naive young man. I didn't know all the different things that were going on in her head about the way a wedding should be and what should happen. You see, I didn't realise that there were wedding cakes to plan, that there were people to involve, there was live music to have, there was orders of service to create, there were dresses to make and I had to look after the honeymoon. I can do that. But then there was cars to organise and I didn't even get that because she was after pink Volkswagens because that was a memory from the past. We were hunting the streets for pink Volkswagens to be at our wedding day. I had no idea all the preparations that needed to be undertaken until that one day where she would stand out outside the walls and she would walk in in all of her glory. And it was. And I'd be waiting there standing Sweat on my brow with a handkerchief from my mum. Thank you, mum. Patting my brow. And there we all were waiting for her, the glory to appear. And she appeared. Because what we've done and said six months ago is that we're, we're engaged to be married, but we're not quite married yet. We're, we're, we're engaged to live together and be together for the rest of our lives, but it hasn't quite happened yet publicly. So what we're waiting for is, the, if you like, the coming together of all things. So every eye could see and everyone could hear and everyone could celebrate with us. And, and, and on that day when she arrived and, and the sun stood still and, and the music played and the birds stopped chirping just that momentary and her glory arrived, we realised that every eye could see and every friend could celebrate the day was here. You see, followers of Jesus throughout the generations have dared to believe that there is a future day, a day when all of God's glory will be revealed because his son has risen from the grave and if he's risen from the grave, then he's alive and he's alive and his power has been released into the world and that one day he will put the whole thing back to rights. Just like the cleaning of that car, putting it back to right again. Just like, if you like, the polished apple, new and fresh like before, but Mark 2, one day will come and he will set the world to rights and he will reign supreme and all those that know him and place their trust in him will be with him too. Friends, this morning I'm not asking you if you believe in Jesus. I'm asking you this. Is he alive in you? This morning, I'm not asking you if you like Jesus. I'm going to ask you, have you bent your knee to him This morning, I'm not just asking you if you've heard of this historical man called Jesus or not. I'm wondering if you know him for real. Because in a minute's time, in a moment's time, we're going to sing a song. And I'm going to invite you to sing it with us. as a song kind of like a praise, an outpouring of thankfulness that says, if you did come back to life and if you are who you say, then that, my friend, is worth celebrating. Because not only is it alive, it's coming alive in me. And that's the message that's rippled throughout the ages on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day, the sad Friday, the happy smiley Sunday. And that's still on invitation for you and I this morning here in this place. You see, let me ask you another question. If you were to die tonight, would you know where you're going to be? 
Let me ask you another one. If you knew that you were going to live forever, are you becoming the kind of person that God would have you be? Because that's what Easter Sunday is all about. That's what it's here for. And that's what, if you like, throughout the ages, when you hear the call, he is risen, that you might, through whispered mouth, through beat of heart, through sound of voice, say, he is risen indeed. This morning, these guys play as they sing. If you want to join with them, do. And if you're here in this place this morning and you go, I've never come to experience the life of Jesus in me like Kylie's been talking about. I'm going to wait in the foyer outside this morning. If you want to come and shake my hand and say hi to me, I've got a little booklet I'd love to give you. Because if you want to start with God, it starts with His Son, Jesus. If you place your trust in Him, all things can become new. Why don't you come and meet me in the foyer? I'll give you one of these little booklets. You can shake my hand anyway. We can say hello. We can say Happy Easter. Because He's alive. Did I get all hot and sweaty? I don't mind. This is at the heart of following Jesus. This.